All right, here's what we're talking about today. We, I, I read this somewhere, that we make 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day. Somebody did the research on it. They hooked somebody up to some sort of wires and figured out that we make 35,000 decisions a day. Little kids will make about 3,000 decisions. We'll make 35,000. You made a decision to come here to church today. You made a decision to take a shower today. You made a decision whether or not you were going to brush your teeth today. And someone sitting next to you is either really happy or really sad that you made that decision. Maybe your very first decision that you made today was at about three in the morning when you woke up saying, I've got to go to the bathroom, but is it worth it? Some of you decided to do that and you had a comfortable last couple hours of sleep and some of you decided not to and it was an uncomfortable last few hours of sleep. But we make, those deci- we make decisions every day. Sometimes those decisions we make, we, are, we make fantastic decisions. We make good ones. We're looking at, we look at ourselves going, yeah, I was thinking. That was really smart. When Jackie and I were dating at one point before we were dating and we were just kissing, she, I, she said, Bill, we either need to start dating and take this thing seriously or we just need to, to, to stop. And that's when I started college ministry because I realized, oh, that's a good idea. I should probably tell other people that too. And she said that, I made a decision. Let's, let's date. I, that was a great decision. We're celebrating 25 years of marriage this fall. And so that's a great decision. I don't need to clap. It's, yeah. But that was a great decision. Yesterday when I was doing our garage sale in, in Rock Creek, we were trying to decide what to put for prices on all our stuff. I said, let's just make it all free so we could get it out of our garage. And it worked. A bunch of junk is no longer in our garage because we sold our garbage. To, I mean, for, for, we gave away our garbage for free to people. That's, that, that was a good decision. We make good decisions in those 35,000 decisions a day. Every once in a while, though, we'll make some bad decisions. Back when we were dating, we were on a break. And when we were on a break, I kissed Jackie's best friend. That was not a good decision. That was a bad decision. We were on a break and she kissed me. I didn't kiss her. So, but still, overall, it was a bad decision. And sometimes we make those bad decisions that have a lot more repercussion to them. Sometimes we make some bad decisions that, that in the end, we have, some, we have some serious regret over. We'll make decisions that we'll look back on and we'll just go, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? What, what, what led me to that? A lot of those decisions where we have a lot of regret that comes with them comes from an from a emotional place that we we're at. That, we, that a lot of the circumstances around us were, 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 coming, were, were pushing in on us. And in that state of emotion, whether it's in our marriage or it's, it's with our friends or it's in the heart of finals or it's in the heart, whatever you, you've got, when it, when it pushes in on us, we make emotional decisions. And a lot of times those are the ones that we can tend to regret because what happens when we make those emotional decisions is we tend to opt for easy instead of difficult. We tend to opt for it's way easier to just turn on the television than actually address the issue. It's way, way easier to ignore it than to say we should probably go seek some counseling. That's, that's difficult. This is easy. And when it's really hard around us, we tend to choose easy. 
We tend to choose now versus down the road. We tend to choose temporary satisfaction instead of long-term health. We will do that over and over again and we'll make decisions in the heart of those emotions, the heart of those circumstances that will just go, it's just easier to do it this way. It's temporarily okay for me to do it this way. And so I do it. And then we look back and we just go, ah, oh, why? We'll ask the question, why, why did I do it? Why did I buy it? You know, those, those decisions, why did I buy it? Why did I give into it? Why did I go back to it? Why did I wander from it? Why did I quit? Why did I start? Why did I say that? Why did I respond that way? Why didn't I respond the way I should? We'll, we'll ask those questions all the time in the midst of these decisions that we're making that we're just going, gosh, I just wasn't thinking. What I'm gonna talk about today is what God might do in helping us just helping us to make less decisions that we ultimately will regret over time. If we start to see things a little bit differently, will that help us in those 35,000 decisions that we face every day to make decisions that might help us to lean further into what God wants for us and lean further away from the temporary the fix that we would get in the decisions that we make? So let's pray about that and we'll get into that a little bit more in light of the series that we're going to talk about, This Is Us. Father, we thank you for this morning and uh, the, the kids that, are, that, are, that got to be dedicated today. And I just think about Kelly and I think about Jamie and Brandon and these people that I got to see the, you work in powerful ways over time and where they're at today and where you still will have them go and what you still have to work on in their lives. And I just think that I, I just know, Lord, that that's what you're doing with every single one of us, that you are on a holy pursuit of us. And whether we want it or not, and whether we think we're winning the race against you or not, and we're stiff-arming it and we're saying no to it or whatever, wherever we're at, you will continue to be on a holy pursuit of us. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray today that as we look at your word, that you would continue to pursue us. Surprise us by your presence. And help each one of us to take a step closer to you as a result. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going in this series called This Is Us. If this is your first time here, that's what we're doing. We're doing this series, and you're right in the heart, and you're right in the middle of it now. It, this is us, ordinary faith, extraordinary God. It's looking at people, those, we're just a bunch of people that are trying to make it work. We're trying within all the circumstances of our life to just go, I just don't want to be blown over by my circumstances. I don't want, it to, I don't want the storms of my life, I don't want the circumstances of my life to just, to, to just knock me over. I want to be able to stand strong. I want to stand assured. I want to stand confident that, that I'm not going to get knocked over from this. I want that assurance. I want that confidence. Even those that don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus, we all want a confident assurance in something that we can put our weight down on. And what we've been talking about is while there are other things we might put our weight down on that ultimately we're going to get shaken there too, that what if we put our weight down on the person of Jesus that will never leave us nor forsake us? And if we put our weight down on him, on his promises, then that's the faith that can, that can stand all of the things that batter us from one side or another. And we call that faith. 
We didn't just make that up. That's coming straight from God's word. In a book called Hebrews in the New Testament, it's a, it's a, a book written by the, this man that, that said, he, it was written to some Jewish Christians trying to encourage them. One of the things he says was this in Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Recognizing that God can be an invisible God at times. Recognizing that God can be distant at times. Recognizing it's sometimes things that we do not see. But how can we still have a confident assurance? And he talks about that confident assurance in the person of Jesus. And then what he does is he goes through and lists off a group, a group of men and women from the Older Testament. And he says, these people had a confident assurance in God. And in the midst of their lives that in some ways were all messed up, they had a confident assurance in God. They put their weight on it and, and, and extraordinary things happened in their life. Extraordinary things happened to them and through them as they put their weight down on the assurance and confidence of God. And so he goes through a bunch of different people and we've, that's what we've been doing in this series is going through those, some of those people. The one we're talking about today is Moses, okay? The writer of Hebrews spends more time on Moses than he does on anybody else in this, in this chapter. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time on Moses. Now in doing so, I need you guys to stop thinking of Moses as Charlton Heston, okay? Don't think of Moses as flowy white hair and a big long robe. You guys that are under the age of 40 probably have no idea what I'm talking about, but it was from a 1970s or maybe even 60s, uh, 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 the, the Ten Commandments movie where Charlton Heston was Moses and he parted the Red Sea and the wind blew in his hair. You know, it's a, you got to think of him as just a normal person. He's not Gandalf the Gray. He's not, he's a normal person, okay, that God did some extraordinary things through. And the writer of Hebrews writes about him. He says this, he starts writing about Moses' life. He says, the mother and father of Moses hid him for three months after he was born. They did this because they had faith. They saw that Moses was a beautiful baby and they were not afraid to disobey the king's order. Moses grew up and became a man. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, he chose not to enjoy the pleasures of sin that last such a short time. Instead, he chose. It wasn't put on him. It wasn't forced on him. He chose to suffer with God's people. He did this because he had a confident assurance in the person of God. He thought it was better to suffer for the Messiah than to have all the treasures of Egypt. He was waiting for the reward that God would give him. He was focused in. He was focused in. Moses left Egypt because he had faith. He was not afraid of the king's anger. He continued strong as if he could see the God that no one can see. Moses prepared the Passover and spread the blood on the doorway of the people of Israel so that the angel of death would not kill the firstborn sons. Moses did this because he had faith. And God's people all walked through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. They were able to do this because they had a confident assurance in the person of God. But when the Egyptians tried to follow them, they were drowned. All right, so let's get started with this thing with Moses. Now, the first thing we need to, re need to remember with him, again, is that Moses was a normal person. That Moses, Moses wasn't always confident and assured. That there were times in his life where he wasn't 
confident and assured. There were moments, in fact, one of, the, one of my favorite conversations in the Bible was in Exodus chapter three and four, where Moses is having this conversation with God. And Moses, God is saying, Moses, I need you to step out to do this. And Moses says, man, I don't want to do it. And then God's going, no, no, I'm gonna be there with you. You gotta do this. And Moses says, man, I don't have the, the words to say. I'm not eloquent in speech and tongue. And God's going, I'm gonna give you the words to say. And I'm gonna give you Aaron to help you to say them. And he's going, man, I don't have the power to do it. And God says, God says, I'm going to be your power. You see that staff you're holding, that little shepherd staff? I'm going to be your power. It's going to hold, it's going it's, it's to, stuff is going to happen through that dumb little shepherd staff. And then he says, in the end, I love this. You talk about confident assurance. He had a lot of confident assurance. You know what he told God at that moment? Send somebody else to do it. He said, God, send somebody else to do it. You can tell me all you want. Send somebody else to do it. He didn't have the confident assurance in the person of God. But God kept pursuing him. God kept hounding him. God kept up showing him who he was. God kept promising. God kept right in front of him. And Moses eventually started to go, wait a minute, I'm starting to gain confidence in this. That is so important for all of us to get because you might sit there and go, oh my gosh, I'm not Moses. You're not Moses, but you're just like him. That we could easily say, no God, no God, no God, and God's gonna keep pushing us until we can get that confident assurance in that person of Jesus in our life. Moses had every right. You talk about somebody that had every right to make a decision in his life. You know, and he, it says, he says, Moses chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He chose that. He had every right to, to, to do whatever he wanted at that point, it seems like. He could have just gone, God, I'm done with this. Do you realize these people that I'm dealing with here? He, he delivers these, these Israelites out of Egypt. He's wandering around the desert. And this is what he's facing. Max Cicada writes about this. Max Cicada is a storyteller. And he says this, encircled by a bunch of Israelites wanting to go home to Egypt and the desert of hot winds and blazing boulders, the ex-shepherd was in a rough spot, which is a slight understatement. Moses was in a rough spot. He had the, you talk about the circumstances and the emotions coming right to the surface. That's where Moses had to be. Lucato finishes, he says, in his rearview mirror was a million stiff-necked, unappreciative, cow-worshipping ex-slaves who grumble with every step. That's in his rearview mirror. That's who he's walking with. Those are the super appreciative people that love it that Moses has done what he's doing. They're saying, I'd rather be back in a, in, enslaved again. I'd rather be back in Egypt again than wandering around in this desert so Moses at that moment could have easily just gone, oh, the heck with you, God. I don't want to do this anymore. He could have easily said, I don't want to trust. He could have easily said, in this moment, I don't want to be obedient. He could have easily said, right now, I'm going to give in to the pleasure for a short time. It's just a short time. It's not a big deal. If there was anybody that was going to make a decision based on his circumstances, Moses could have made that decision and said, no, I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want to do it. When we're in the heart of our things that are going on in our lives and things pressing on around us, and we end up with that decision, the decisions we make for the short, we opt for the short term. Those are those moments that for some reason Moses caught it and said, no, 
I'm going to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He, he did something that we don't do. Because what we do is we, we convince ourselves. We're awesome lawyers on the inside. We convince ourselves. No, I'm going I'm to I'm weigh all these things and I'm going, no, no, this makes sense. Then I'm going to do this. Not only do we convince ourselves to go for the short-term thing, not only convince ourselves to do for something that might not be healthy for us, but we make decisions where one thing has nothing to do with the other, but we'll say we deserve this anyway. We'll do this. You'll get a speeding ticket in the morning going to work. And then you'll have, be in a bad mood at work. And so when you get home from work at the end of the day, you say, I deserve ice cream. I deserve it. I, I deserve to break my diet. I deserve ice cream. Why? Because I got a speeding ticket. Don't you see how those line up? And you go, well, they don't line up at all. But in my brain, I made them line up. I made it go, speeding ticket equals I'm, I deserve Oh, not just a bowl. I deserve all of it. Because that was a rough day. You have an argument with your wife, and then you just go, you know what? I deserve now for the rest of this day to treat everybody bad. I deserve it. I don't have to treat anybody good. My wife didn't treat me good, so I don't have to treat anybody good. In fact, at the end of the day, I can just watch as much television as I want because we had an argument. How is that working, you guys? How's that working? We do that. We make those decisions where one has nothing to do with the other. Man, when I was coaching baseball, I'm like, I, I had a rough day at work. I'm taking it out on the kids by hitting them higher fly balls that I know they can't catch. I'll show them. My boss was a jerk. I'll hit a real high fly ball. It's stupid. But we do it. We do it. We, we continue to justify. We continue to say, no, this makes sense. This is right. This is okay. We say we deserve it. And then because we make those within our emotions, we come back to the whys. Why did I choose to make my wife feel silly and hurt? Why did I choose to give into that temptation? Why did I choose to open that bottle? Why did I start that argument? Why did I stop at that dispensary? Why couldn't I say I'm sorry? Why did I pursue that woman at work? Why did I open my computer at midnight and go on to that site? Our heart wants something instantly. And what it does is our heart says, I deserve it. I want it. And it sends that message to our brain. And our brains say, no, no, you don't want it. You need it. And we convince ourselves, no, we need it. We need it. And then we give in to decisions that we later look back at and say, what in the world was I thinking? And it all originates in our heart. Proverbs 14 says there's a way that seems right to a person, but at the end, this way is to death because it seems right to us because we convince ourselves that this must be the, the way because in the short term when it's pressing against us, our heart doesn't respond the way we want it to. You know, when you look at that with our heart, what's, what's hard is that the, the way God addresses our heart in its, in its state that it can be in, it's not super encouraging. He says this in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He says, the heart is, a hopelessly, dark, is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. 
It's a puzzle that no one can figure out. Man, that's not, that's sobering. That's not, that's not super encouraging that our heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out, which is why we tend to make decisions that will, that will what's going to make me happier? What's going to make me richer? What's going to make me uh, happy for this day? Who cares about tomorrow? Our hearts, is, God is saying, our hearts is, are hopelessly dark and deceitful. This is what Paul, a writer in the New Testament, laments so much in Romans in a letter that he wrote to the people in Rome in Romans chapter 7. He laments this. Now, if you read the NIV, the New International Version of a Bible, and you read that Romans 7, you can read through it and you read through it really fast. And it just sounds like a bunch of gibberish that, that, that Paul is saying. But when you slow it down and you listen to what Paul is saying, you just go, oh my gosh, that's exactly the way I feel and I think when I'm in the midst of my decisions. Look at this. I'm going to read to you Eugene Peterson's paraphrase from the message on, on Romans 7. Listen to this, what he says. He says, what I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary. What he's saying is that, is that I can't, if I can't figure it out, I'm going to need something more. And so I need God's command to speak to me and tell me that this is wrong. But then listen to what he says, because some of us go, yeah, I know that. I know God's command, but listen to what he says. But I need something more than just God's command. For I know the law, but still can't keep it. And if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging, I love that word sabotaging because most of the time when we make those decisions that we regret, a lot of times it comes from sabotage. We have, we have sabotaged ourselves. He keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can, win, I, can, I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do good, but then I do it anyway. My decisions or my choices, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and in my heart. So he's talking about deep within me, in that heart, that heart where there could be deception that's in there. He says, something's gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Can we not relate to that? How many times can you look at the, the decisions we've made that we regret and we just go, ah, why do I do this? He says, it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Come on. Come on. Is that not one of the more real things you'll read? I delight in what God says. Part of me doesn't. I delight in being obedient. Part of me doesn't. I delight in trusting him. Part of me doesn't. I delight in following him and going wherever he wants me to go. Part of me doesn't. I delight in thinking of how healthy it will be long term if I do this the way the Lord wants me to do this. Part of me doesn't. Part of me doesn't. And that's what he's saying. He says, part of me covertly rebel. And, I ju and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? What do we do? Man, it sounds pretty bleak. But that's not the end of the story. Because see, this whole story is a story of redemption. This whole story is a story of God recognizing our heart where it's at and God wanting to do something about that. And God wanted to transform us in that. And that's why he sent us his son. 
that he's going, my, th- these, their, their hearts are not aligned with mine. Their, our hearts are, their hearts are not together in this. And I need to send them my son because I need my son to do something. I mean, my son to, to die on a cross and sa- sacrifice his life to give us life. And this is what, this what, this what, uh, what Paul says. He says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. See, Jesus acted. Through his death on the cross, he acted. Jesus acted on his love for us. He acted. He acted on us because of the plight that we're in with our heart. He acted. Jesus acted. And what happened is he in his action of what happened on the cross, he aligns our hearts with God's. We are out of alignment. We're in a totally different space. Jesus now allows us to now be back aligned with God. And when our hearts are aligned with God, transformation happens there. And Jesus starts to work on us. And what happens is we start to discover God's heart. We start to discover what beats God's heart. We start to discover what that love looks like. And now our hearts are lined up with his. And now all of a sudden decisions, you start to go, wait a minute. I want this to align with God's heart. You guys, some of you are familiar with, uh, with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a passage that's read in, lot, in lots of weddings. You might have had it read at your guys' wedding. And it's one that you look at it as it's the couple's passage. But you know what? It's way more than the couple's passage. This is a passage giving us a glimpse into God's heart. This is a passage that gives us a glimpse into this is how, how my God's heart beats. And it's, it says this. It says, it says, love is patient. Love is kind. This is God's, this is a glimpse into God's heart. God's heart is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. This is God's heart, you guys. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's God's heart. Some of us in our marriages need to ask ourselves, are we aligning with God's heart? Are we aligning? Are the decisions we're making aligning up with God's heart? Are we, are we seeing our life as, and our marriage is patient and is kind and not envious or boastful or arrogant. When you look at your relationship with your roommates, when you look at your relationship with your people at work, when you look at your relationship with your siblings, with your mother or father, when you look at your relationship with your, with your grandkids, are we lining up? Is our love patient and kind and not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude? See, God's transforming our hearts and is making us aligned with his. And when that happens then, we recognize God's heart and then we still have that choice and that decision. Am I following that? Am I letting that live out in my life and in my marriage and in my decisions? When we face those 35,000 decisions in our life, in our day, are we filtering through the heart of God? 
Or are we filtering them through what I opt to do instead was the short-term pleasure? Are we filtering that through the heart of God? If we do filter it through the heart of God, we might see some differences in the way we make our decisions. We might see decisions be made different. Now, Andy Stanley is a pastor in Atlanta, Georgia, and he likes to, he, 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 gave, he, he spoke once on this and he talked about something very practical that helps us, helps us in making these decisions and helping us to line it up in the heart of God. He said this, he says, we need to stop thinking about life as just choices and we instead need to think about life as, as part of a story and all of those decisions as part of a story because every decision that we make is part of a story that is a part of our life. And then you look back and it's part of a paragraph. It's part of a sentence. It's part of a chapter of our life from the decisions that we make. And some of us have some of those chapters in our life that we're just going, that's, not, that's, that's a really great chapter. That's a really bad chapter. That's a hard chapter. There's, that's a regretful chapter because they're, they're, they're actual parts of our story and not just decisions that we make. You know, when you say, I made a choice to cheat on my wife, you know, that's a ch- you can say that's a choice or you say that's part of my story. And when you put it as part of your story, then all of a sudden it's elevated far more than just a choice. It's elevated in what's going on in our lives. Every decision we make is part of our story. I started thinking about that and I thought, okay, let's, let's use one example of this. Let's make, let's make a, a chapter that says, my marriage in my 30s. Let's just say that's one of the chapters of the book. My marriage in my 30s. You know, that's the time where, where the adventure of your 20s of going to see the world has turned into the adventure of changing diapers. That's the time where the long conversations, the candlelit conversations, the, the really romantic conversations are whose turn is it to make lunch? That's the, the time in your 30s where, where you're, Gordon McDonald calls it the sames. There's the first, the sames, and the last, and you're in the sames. It's the same car and the same house and the same job, and you start to get a little bit bored with some of those things. That's the time where, where physically your bodies are just starting to wear out. You're not in your 40s yet, where every single year in your 40s, your, your eyes get worse and worse and you're getting heart, stronger and stronger readers. And by the time you're 50, you need to get the LASIK surgery because you can't see anything. You're not there yet, but you are at a point where you're starting to feel a little bit more. Your bodies are starting to wear down a little bit more. That's life in your 30s. You got your kids You've got your marriage. And so marriage in my 30s, how would you want that story told? Would you want the story to say this? That's when I I talked more to that woman at work than I did to my wife. That's when I emotionally lashed out at her. That's when I disengaged from her. That's why I intentionally traveled more. That's That's when I demanded more and affirmed less. That's when I found that temporary pleasure in late nights on the computer. That's when I turned to the TV instead of the conversation. That's when I got really good at that game on my phone. That's when I was a great father, but a lousy husband. Do we want our stories to be written that way? Is that what's being written from the decisions that we're making? Or do we want that story to say, this is life, a marriage in my 30s, and the subtitle says, patience. That was a decade of patience. Do we want it to say, life, marriage in my 30s, endurance, I endured. Life in my 30s, we worked hard at it. Marriage in my 30s, 
We, our love was filled with kindness. Marriage in our 30s, it wasn't about winning and we won. Every season of our life, we have a, a story that's being told. In your retirement years, you got a story that's being told. In your college years, you got a story that's being told. In your dating years, you got a story that's being written out right then. How do you want that story written? A lot of what will come with the decisions that we make. And the Bible is filled with encouragement for us to align ourselves with the heart of God in making those decisions. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, chapter 30 it said, Moses says this, this is one of the later times in Moses' life. He says, I place before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your children will live and love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Moses is saying, filter your life through the heart of God and then choose that life that God offers for you. Listen to this one, you guys. David writes this in Psalm 119. Oh, this is such a good one. This is such a good one. He, this, is the, this is Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of it. He says this, I'm feeling terrible. I couldn't feel worse. Get me on my feet again. Barricade the road that goes nowhere. Help me stop making decisions that goes down a road that leads to nowhere. I love how he capitalizes nowhere and somewhere in this. Help me to not go down the road that leads to nowhere. Grace me with your clear revelation. I choose the true road to somewhere. Aligned with the heart of God, I choose the, the true road that goes to somewhere. I post your road signs at every curve and every corner. I grasp and cling whatever you tell me. God, don't let me down. I'll run the course you lay out for me if you just show me how. Man, I love how real that is. He's saying, man, I want to go down the road of somewhere and I want signs in the road. I want a yield sign that says yield to God in this and be obedient and trust that. I want a U-turn sign that says turn around when I'm starting to go down a place I shouldn't go. I want a stop sign that says when I'm going down the road that is nowhere and is selfishness, I want a stop sign there and say, no, help me in my decisions to go down a road that leads to somewhere. I want, a I, want a, I, want a, I want a warning sign that says, careful now, those decisions you're starting to make, careful now, I want that warning sign. And I even want an under construction sign because sometimes I'm still going to make stupid decisions and I'm going to be foolish. I'm going to need that reminder that God is still saying, hey, you're under construction. We're still at work. <laughs> we still got some work to do. That's all right. Let's pick it up right now and keep doing it, going down the road to somewhere as we filter our hearts to the heart of God. And he says at the end, I'll run the course you lay out for me if you just show me how. You guys, Hebrews 11 finishes and Hebrews 12 starts. And when Hebrews 12 starts, he, he starts it the same way that he's finishing that, that I'll run the course you lay out for me if you show me how. This is what he says. He says, we have all these great people around us as examples. All those people that we're talking about in Hebrews 11. Their lives tell us what faith means and that confident assurance of the person of Jesus. So we too should run the race that is before us and never quit. We should remove from our lives anything that would slow us down and the sin that so often makes us fall, both. You see, there's two things there. The things that slow us down and the sin that makes us fall. 
Don't just look at it and say, well, is this a sin or isn't it? Both of those things can slow us down and can keep us from making the decisions that we need to make aligned with God's heart. We must never stop looking to Jesus. He is the leader of our faith and he is the one who makes our faith complete. He suffered death on a cross, but he accepted the shame of the cross if it were nothing because of the joy he could see waiting for him. And now he's sitting at the right side of God's throne. Think about Jesus. He patiently endured the angry insults that sinful people were shouting at him. Think about him so that you won't get discouraged and stop trying. Stop trying. Jesus has done the work to align our hearts with God's. We filter our lives through his heart. And the decisions we make that that are telling our story, the decisions we make filtered through that heart of God might, might just help us from living that life of regret of the decisions we make. And in the midst of it all, you guys, for those of you that look back at a chapter where you're going, that story was told and I'm so filled with regret for it. And you look at that chapter and you go, oh, I just want that torn out of my book. That's where you also know that the power, the power of the cross is one where he says, man, I give you life and I give it new. That I forgive you, that I love you, that I wash you clean. That's all part of that. That's the story that's being written right now in your life too. So that's the question for us. The question is, what story is being written for you right now? What decisions are you making? And how are you filtering those through the heart of God? Father, I pray that you would help each one of us to, when we face 35,000 decisions a day, and we know, Lord, the ones that, that, we have, that we have messed up on and we could, we could continue to mess up on. We know the ones that can hurt ourselves and hurt other people. God, I pray that you'd help each one of us in those moments, put some road signs in the way. Help us, Lord, to see you. Help us, Lord, to see your love. And Lord, help us to filter then our decisions through that. God, if there is a relationship a marriage, a friendship, whatever it is that needs to be readdressed right now and that people would, that they would see, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I gotta filter this through your loving kindness. I gotta filter this through your loving patience. God, if that's what needs to happen right now, I pray that that would happen right now and those conversations would get started. Even though they're harder, I pray they get started right now. Help us to make those decisions. In your name we pray, amen.